You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Shawnee Krebs, welcome back. Thank you. It's been a long time since you've been in studio. I think so, what, like a year or two? <laughs> it has been a while. Shawnee, what's been happening in all that time? Ah, oh, lots, man. You know, just working at the gallery, I'm still doing talks, promoting the book, visiting schools, counseling privately. It doesn't end. So for those listeners who've been locked in a sealed room for the last couple of years, Shawnee Krebs is a survivor of note. Shawnee Krebs made some serious mistakes in his life, and he landed up on death row, then life imprisonment, and through various reasons, including presidential or, or pardons from the king, rather, in Thailand, he was finally released after many, many, many years in prison. He actually missed the inauguration of Mandela as our first democratically elected president. How long were you in prison for, Shawnee? 18 years in total. And you wrote an incredible book, uh, an incredible book, a book I really enjoyed, a book I could get into. The name of the book? Dragons and Butterflies. Still available at all good bookstores? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so Dragons and Butterflies, people, isn't just the story of Shani being naughty, but it's a story of an immigrant Jewish family and their turmoil that they went through as a family. I remember reading about them, um, Starting off in a small mining town and, and what they endured. And then Shani landing up in the Arcadia Jewish children's home together with his sister. And what this tumultuous, um, episode in their life created. And Shani was a very naughty guy. But, um, he's now become somebody that speaks very openly about what happened. And he speaks openly to, to people who are involved in drugs. Why do you think we've seen such an increase in the use of hard drugs, Shani? Well, there's definitely been an increase since uh, since we use drugs, and I think it's possibly because uh, of an influx of, uh, I'm sorry to say, of immigrants. Um, drugs have become more freely available, and um, the reasons, I don't know, it's a money-making racket. Why do you think people are turning more and more to drugs, especially the hardcore drugs? Because when you and I were growing up, if we knew somebody that was smoking a button, Mandrax, for those that don't know, um, it was it was quite heavy. It was quite hardcore. If we knew somebody in Hilbro who was on pinks, Walkenal, well, we knew that person's going to lose a limb or land up dying. We never had the cocaines, the cats, the crystals, the PCPs, etc. Why do you think the youth of today are experimenting with such heavy drugs, knowing full well, because we never had social media growing up, how dangerous this is? Um. So it's it's a hard question and difficult to answer. I mean, I don't know the reasons, but I think just like marijuana was a gateway to to mandrakes, and then you know you experimented with mandrakes, and that wasn't enough. And it's just, I suppose, what's fashionable at the time. Now, Shani, you gave a chat earlier today to a girls' school, and you give regular chats to different organisations. What is the the basis of the chat? What do you hope uh, that you can take away from that chat, and what do you hope that the people who are listening, who are attending that chat, will take away from it? So, we're trying to create awareness of the dangers and and consequences of drugs, and um, you know, especially with the kids today, and about making the right choices. Because it's different today, whereas the drug dealers actually prowling on kids and they, they're putting different things in the drugs. So you never know what you're getting, you know. So I think uh, my, my whole purpose is all about educating uh, the children because um, the war on drugs has been lost. So the only way we can win this war is by, by making the kids more aware and educating them. Shani, you hit the nail on the head. Awareness is the key. 
And it's the only way we're going to move forward. When we come back, we're going to chat more about Shani, his art, and one of the, the initiatives he recently made in supporting a charity overseas. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. We're talking about bonafide rock stars and a night never to be forgotten. You don't want to miss this one. Book now at sinai-indaba.co.za or CompuTicket and be there on the 2nd and 3rd of March. Sounds very, very exciting. I hope Chai FM is going to comp me and the missus. Um, I think that's taking liberties, so I shouldn't actually say that on air, but it really sounds amazing. So maybe I should get my missus to start booking because this sounds like it's going to be sold out very, very quickly. Shani, a lot of people are aware of your art. You've, you have an art gallery. You are an accomplished artist. You spent a lot of time in prison um, with your art. How is the art world these days? How is your gallery doing? So it's pretty tough. And um, we had quite a bad year last year. I think just the location has been wrong. So I'm actually looking to close the gallery. My lease expires end of March. I can't see myself uh, renewing it. So... There are one or two options, looking at it, another location at the moment and negotiating maybe a good price on the premises. Um, and then the other thing is to go digital, you know, to open an online gallery. And I've also now got a, an agent in New York, so I'm sending quite a few of my pieces over there, besides the one that I donated to Operation Smile. Tell us more about that, Charlie. So I was approached by an, a fellow artist, Glenn Josselson, and um, we've got this mate who's doing quite well in New York, uh, Berman, Joel Berman, and they actually organized this charity year last year. They've moved it now to New York, and um, so it's um, Operation Smile, which helps uh, kids uh, with operations to get a cleft, uh, to sort out their cleft palate. Um, so I was just asked to come on board, which I've happily done. But we're also looking to move um, the operation all over the world and um, working with charities and, and, and artists from South Africa because there is quite a demand overseas for it. Now, Shani, South African art is amazing. We've got very unique um, art in this country. But is the art scene supported the way it should be by both the public and private sectors? So, so... According to my knowledge, I believe art is being sold. Um, South Africans do support us, and we've got a, quite a bit of support from overseas. I have sold pieces uh, here and there overseas, but I think a lot more could be done to promote South African artists abroad, and that's what I'm looking to do also with my agent, not only with my own art, but also with emerging artists, and I have quite a few of them at the gallery. Well, I, I followed you over the years. I remember your first pop-up gallery in Killarney. That's correct. I remember the gallery in, in Parkhurst. But tell me, from a from a person who came from drugs, landed up in prison because of drugs, and you were able to do your art in prison, was the art an escape of any form? Was it therapeutic for you? So it was definitely an escape from our reality. And uh, um, prior to going to prison, as you know, I, I had a history of drug addiction for 16 years. So life had no meaning for me. And through my art, I found purpose and um, life became more meaningful. So instead of selling drugs to people and, and being a deliverer of death and destroying people's lives, I now bring joy to them. So I've also been quite busy doing commissions for people, you know, portraits and things like that. So it's it's been an incredible journey. I mean, I, I love art. I'm passionate about it. 
I'm teaching art. So my students are really doing well. So I want to bring that more to this side of town. I feel just a little bit isolated in Parkhurst. So the areas I'm looking to operate out of would probably be like Linksfield, Senderwood, um, this side of town. Well, we moved our office from, from Mountain View and our, our home from Lingsfield to an office in Emma Rancher and a house in Parkview. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, driving here every Monday to do the show, I miss this part of the world. I miss this community. Mm-hmm. I miss being a part of this community. And I'm also looking at migrating back because it's special. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I just feel like I'm stuck out there, you know, and, and, and cut off from the rest of the world where things are happening. So I've got to come back this side. I think once you cross Oxford and then still have to cross <laughs> yeah. Jan Smuts, you're in a different world. Yeah, this is where we grew up, you know, so this, this is our playground. This is our turf. These are our people. Shani, do you think that some of the people that you've come into touch with over the years, fellow artists, could be utilized in a rehab facility to try help people that are addicts who are going through the treatment process to express themselves? Do you think that art could be a way of treating addiction absolutely i think it's uh it's very therapeutic and like with my own journey if it wasn't for my art i don't know where i'd be today so so i think there might be a few rehabs that offer some sort of recreational program where where art is included but i think a lot more could be done not just with art just also with with people who suffer from depression or, or, or stress, and especially in today's times, a lot of people are very stressed out there. So it's definitely therapy. Can I ask you this? As somebody who is out the country for close on two decades, um, you left the country during the apartheid government. You came back to a totally different country. Did you see a change in the drug scene, in the way that people were acting, in the way people were behaving? So, you know, I'm quite far removed from that world, I must tell you. So the only time I've come into contact with people who have been on drugs is when I've done talks at rehabs. Um, but I see, uh, like, there's there's desperation in these people's eyes. You know, the, the drugs today, I think, are far more addictive and dangerous. I mean, even even the weed is, is, is a lot more powerful. I mean, now you get different grades and everything. So I haven't really been exposed to it, but I, but it is a serious problem. Coming back to South Africa, realizing what had happened in your life, etc., were you tempted to get back into that world at all, especially coming back with absolutely nothing and needing to make money? So I must be quite honest with you. And, um, there was a stage where, you know, we came back here and uh, things were really hard. Uh, I didn't look for a job, but I was looking to exhibit my art. Nobody had to take me on. So uh, the thought did cross my mind, you know, maybe I need to go back to what I know best. And that was dealing drugs. But the thing was, you know, my family had supported me and, and people believed in me. So it wasn't just about me. It was a, it was a road I just couldn't go down, just by principle. Shani, so. for artists, it can be tragic because a lot of artists are tortured souls. A lot of artists can't sell their art. And a lot of them get caught in this trap of addiction. And it's it's almost par for the course that we talk about that tortured soul, that yeah. artist that can't sell that art, who believes in his mind his art will only be famous when he dies. Do you believe in that? 
No, not at all. And I must tell you that that's what my gallery's always been about, is to give emerging artists an opportunity. So I think a lot of the artists that I know, none of them are really on drugs anymore, or that are, because, I mean, they can barely uh, uh, afford to buy art supplies, never mind drugs, you know. So it, it is sad, and, and that's why I think a lot more could be done. Some of the bigger galleries, to, you know, they tie you up and basically exploit some of the artists today. But, um, yeah, I think um, my heart does go out to these emerging artists. So often I will, I'll take some art, wouldn't really be up to gallery standard, but I'm happy to try and just to lift their spirit, you know, and guide them in the right direction. Maybe point out a few things that maybe they could have done differently to improve their, their own work. I'm glad you spoke about exploitation. You helped me about three years ago with an investigation where an artist had been exploited by a particular gallery for many years, and they'd exploited him in two of their galleries as well as overseas by selling his art and not declaring to him the true value of his art. And it's almost like music producers. You get some music producers that really exploit their artists. How do we overcome the stigma, and how do we get the artists to the consumer? So I think we need to maybe establish an organization almost like a union where artists could probably be registered and, and monitor the situation with the galleries. Any works that would be submitted needed need to be recorded. The thing is with a lot of these artists, they, they're so desperate that they walk in and, I mean, they will sell their art for anything just to put food on the table. I mean, I've had an artist that it's happened with and, you know, he'll come in and, and he'll – I mean, his art could be worth two, three thousand. He's happy to take five hundred, you know. So I've tried to to promote some of these artists. It's it's really difficult, but I think we need to have more of a strict control of people who are exhibiting in galleries and are selling their art. Now, with your with you wanting to move and with your closing imminent, are you planning on having a a a closing finale of sorts where you can have um, some artists display their art, members of the public can visit, etc. So, so we were going to do something, but now the fact that we're negotiating for a new location and a new premises, I'd rather have an opening there than. Uh, do something in Parkhurst where we've had like three, four exhibitions a year. Um, these exhibitions have been quite successful, but they haven't generated the sales that we anticipated. So to do something in Parkhurst, I think would be, uh, would be a waste of time actually, you know. So, I mean, I love the space and everything, but we need to focus on our new location. And maybe from there. So I've already got a few artists approaching me. We also want to be a little bit more diversified and represent up and coming photographers. I mean, photography is huge and we've got so much talent out there, you know. So if I have any listeners that are interested in, in, in helping you establish a new gallery this side of Johannesburg, can they contact you? Yeah, for sure. How can they contact you, Sean? So they can contact me on Facebook. I mean, um, they just Google 18 years in a Bangkok prison. <laughs> I'm all over the show. Shawnee Krebs. Oh, give uh, you my number. <laughs> we'll take your number at the end of the show. Now, everybody that, that, that has listened to the show over the years in its different manifestations, be it Corruption Busters, be it Deadly Blunt to Chad Thomas, or now as it's known, Confidential Brief, knows that I'm in awe of, of, of Shawnee's talents. So Shawnee, do you yourself personally still take on commissions? Yeah, no, I do. I've done quite a few lately. Um, I'm now working on a, a collection of Mr. Mandela, which I'm hoping to send to New York and try to get a bit uh, top dollar there. 
And then also looking at maybe establishing a foundation. Um, I'd like to call it Arts and Hearts, which will help uh, not only emerging artists, but also also underprivileged children, you know, to, to bring the art to there. Last year we did a, a workshop at, in Deep Slit at one of the schools. And we did a, we did about, I think it was a hundred kids. Um, we split them up into groups and over three days we got them to paint a beautiful canvas. This was done for an organization called EduFun who do fantastic work by um, teaching the kids to read. So there's, there's so much out there that we can do and there's just so much talent. And I think also to start training them because you can definitely make a living from art. Shani, um, as it stands right now, how many different artists have you had um, display at your galleries? How many launches have you had? How many people have you assisted get onto the, the road of recognition in terms of the art world? So a lot of these people who I, I have represented have been quite established over the years but couldn't get into galleries, you know, selling privately, using social media. Um, there, there's, there's one or two, you know, who've, uh, come through me. But I mean, I've had anything up to about 50 artists, South African artists who we've represented and exhibited, but I never tie them down. I always give them the freedom to do what they want. You know, if they want to go to another gallery, they sell on social media, that's up to them, you know. So, I mean, it's been an incredible journey. I know a lot of like really great artists and, um, I hope the journey continues. Shani, apart from the art, and I want to come back to the art just before we close, um, specifically regarding your gallery requirements, what what is still driving you to give that message regarding the drug awareness, and will you ever stop going to schools and giving those speeches? Um, so, I mean, I've been passionate about this ever since I, I landed up in prison, you know, and uh, Dragons and Butterflies was actually written so that people could... Uh, become aware of of the dangers and consequences of drugs and from very early in my confinement in my letters to my sister I, I said I, you know I've got a story to tell and, and if I had met somebody like me while I was at school or heard somebody talk I might not have gone down that path so my whole purpose in life is to make a difference whether it's with drugs or whether it's with art or anybody who I come in in contact with I like to uh, you know, inspire people, lift them up, and uh, so it will continue. I mean, now my book's been introduced into into school libraries. I'm still looking to make a movie, so hopefully that will materialize sometime. Well, it's an incredible story. It really is. And um, it's something that a lot of people can learn from. And I think they should, if they've not read the book, make an effort to read that book. And if they have children, let them let their children read the book. It's not a difficult read. It's a long read. It's not a small book. But it really, really, really encapsulates a person's life. And I really enjoyed it for one. Thank you, Chair. Shani, your dream studio, where will it be and what will it comprise of? <laughs> well, I can't give it away at this stage, but I'm, I'm, I'm moving to this side of town. Um, you know, nothing's definite at this stage, but I am looking up to partner with another guy who's been involved in the art industry for the last 30, 40 years and, um, bring art to, to this side of the world and then hopefully also go international with it. Well, Shani, just like I tried to score a free ticket to the Sinai in Darba to listen to these two rock stars, I'm hoping I cop an invite to the opening of your new studio. That's without a doubt. So anybody that's interested in Shani giving a talk regarding drug awareness, etc., they can contact him via Facebook, Shani Zor Krebs. You can Google um, his book. You can Google Shani. You can Google 18 years in a Thai prison. Um, it's not going to be difficult for you to track down Shani. And um, let me tell you something. We've had him at Drug Awareness. 
Christmas days that we've sponsored and his talk really touches the kids because the kids are talking to somebody who has physically sat behind bars for 18 years and it's reality. It's not talking about what can happen. It's talking about what did in fact happen. So Shani, thank you so much for what you're doing and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It was great. Thanks, Chad. And I'm really looking forward to the opening of your new studio. Thank you.